Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. I'm excited to share the Word of God with you today. We have been in a series called Can We Talk? We've been talking about relationships. Are you tired of this series yet? I hope not. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. This is, I believe, week number five, week number five of this series. So next week, we'll conclude the series. And uh, we've just been learning how to do relationships, not by our design, but by the one who created us and the one who knitted us together. And so today, we're going to add another layer to it. So I know it feels like you're doing spiritual aerobics, but uh, stand up with me to honor the reading of God's word. And go with me to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. And we'll start at verse number 1 and land at verse number 13. Thank you so much, sir. Genesis chapter 13. Starting at verse number 1 and we'll land at verse number 13. Can I see your hand one more time? Is this your first time here at Social? Come on. Look at you. Look, look at you. Come on. Welcome. I'll drink to that. I'm glad that you're here. Glad that you're here. Genesis chapter 13. We're going to start at verse number one. If you cannot find Genesis, you ain't been to church in a long time. But there's no condemnation. We have it on the big electronic LED. And it's talking about this guy named Abraham. But this is before his name changed. So don't let Abram confuse you. We'll start at verse number one of Genesis 13. When you're ready to read it, say, yeah. If you're not ready, say, hold on. Look at that. Not one. Hold on. Let's go. It says, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had. And Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's, and the Canaanites and the Parasites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, look, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Family doesn't fight. (laughs) Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. Look, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Mm, Everything is not what it looks like. And this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. And the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Can you say amen? Verse 11, it says, the two men parted company. 
parted company. I want to preach today not long, just for six hours. <laughs> Using this as a title, expiration dates. Expiration dates. Look at your neighbor for the last time today and say, oh neighbor, there is a such thing as expiration dates. Look at your other neighbor and say, other neighbor, I know you don't want to believe it, but there are <laughs> expiration dates. If you believe God's going to speak, would you give him some praise up in here? <laughs> you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Expiration dates. Ooh. I want to use my title today to really springboard into something that people don't talk about much in church at all. Because how many know you do not have to be a social scientist, nor do you have to be a cultural analysis to know that ooh, our world is divided. We are so divided. We are divided. We don't even have conversations anymore. We have comment sections. We don't have, you know, places where we sit and talk together anymore. We tweet to each other and we text to each other. We don't even have the civility or have the ability to just agree to disagree anymore. Have you noticed that? It's like we can't even agree to disagree. It's like if somebody has a completely different viewpoint than you, it's immediately they are canceled. Oh, you don't agree with me? You don't think like I think? You're a hater. You're dismissed. We completely will talk about you if we don't agree. We, we are divided. But we're not just divided between the rich and the poor or between Democrats and Republicans. We, we're divided by two groups of people who are in this room today. We, we're divided over what I believe are Hmm. Expiration dates. We're divided. Because there are people in this room, you know who you are, that whenever you grab a perishable item, perishable being the powerful word, let's just say it's milk, you will grab that perishable item and you know it's been in your refrigerator for a while. And you will look at the date and the date will say March 23rd. You go, what is today? You don't know what they did. Hey, Siri, <laughs> what's the date? Siri tells you it's March 24th. You're like, mm, it's all right. You know what? I'm going to get rid of it. You throw it away. I respect y'all. Then there's some of y'all. <laughs> and y'all need prayer. <laughs> you go into your fridge, get the perishable item, the date will say March 23rd. Hey Siri, what's the date? April 1st. <sighs> and start pouring the milk irrespective of the date. But because you smelt it and it wasn't that bad. And if that's you, can I just ask you to do something? Please just leave the church. Just leave, okay? I'm being serious. I know we say we're for all people, but not for you. I don't trust your decision-making process. I think you have issues in life. You're going to risk your life over a smell? Oh, something is wrong with that. And let's be clear. There are two different types of expiration dates. There is best Buy, okay? That's where you have some wiggle room, okay? You can go a little day or two. 
But then there is best before. Before, that's like your milks, your meats, your eggs. That's best before. So if you're going past the before, it's, uh, it was best before. And now you're going past that day. People, there is a real thing called salmonella, okay? That's not a, a color like salmon and yellow put together. That is bacteria that will kill you. It's amazing to people oh, that don't care about expiration dates. And I know I'm playing around, I'm being funny. But I guess the question I really want to posit today is, how do you know when a relationship has expired? How do you gauge when a relationship has ran its course? Um, does the sniff test work on people? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, we, we done, we done. <laughs> Don't you wish, this is just me, don't you wish, uh, this is me, Enneagram 5, me, investigator. I wish there was like a tattoo, like on the neck of anybody that you engage in, any type of relationship with, that would let you know the expiration date of that relationship. That would be so helpful for me to know. Just tat it on the back, then I can see, because then if you betray me and you stab me in my back, then I can look at your neck and go, you know what, I'm six weeks past our relationship date. I should have expected that. Don't you wish there was just something that would let you know when relationships expire. Oh, but the reality is people don't come with tattoos. They let you know when there's an expiration date. As a matter of fact, here's the reality. In every relationship, even if you think back, friendship, you always thought it was going to be forever, didn't you? Come on, think before your heart got broken, before people showed you who they really were. Remember like high school, like, oh, yo, this is my BFF forever. No, we took yearbook picture together. This is my friend forever. Don't you remember before you thought that every relationship was going to be good? I was looking at our wedding picture the other day. I don't even talk to like half of my groomsmen anymore. I, like, I mean, we don't have any beef. I just don't talk to them. Taylor had 68 bridesmaids. I was just trying to make sure that everybody had somebody to walk down the aisle with. My little Evie girl, my little Evie girl, she's so naive, her heart hadn't been broken yet. She almost had a breakdown the other day because she has her little BFF bracelet, her little BFF necklace with her friend. She's like, this, oh, this is my best friend forever, and I don't have the heart to tell her. Girl, there are some relationships that are for a reason, some for a season, and some for a lifetime. You ain't ever gonna talk to that girl ever again. <laughs> when you're naive, when you're young, you actually think that relationships won't expire, that they're gonna last forever. Is a marriage supposed to expire? Is there an expiration date? It's interesting. I've never seen a wedding where two people come to the altar and they're looking at each other and they're like, oh, I love you so much. I think we're gonna have a good like seven years. Seven, I gave us three. Are you for real? It's never happened. Most people stand at the altar believing it's gonna last forever. That, that's the songs we sing, right? We, we don't say make it last for seven months. To make it last forever. Perhaps the reason that we uh, don't realize that things expire is because we actually don't even come to relationships with the right expectations. Expectations, I think, are connected to the expiration date. And one expectation that we have not yet even talked about in this series is this expectation called completion. Completion. 
It's what we see in the movies. Hollywood projects it on us. This idea that I'm going to find somebody that finally completes me. It's in every, even Disney, subconsciously, we watch these things and we're like, oh, and it's the lines of the movie, like you're going completely, as if all of us are walking around with just half of us, just waiting for one person to finally fulfill us, to finally make us feel happy, to finally make us have peace, and to finally complete us. But can I give you a newsflash? There is nobody that can complete you. There is nobody that completes you. If you put the weight of completion on another human being, you are going to live your life miserable. Some of you right now are miserable because you have put the weight of completion on somebody else and humans were never meant to carry the weight of completion. The only person that can carry the weight of completion is the one who carried your cross and carried my cross. He said, give it to me. I can handle the weight of completion. But if you put it on anybody else, it's going to destroy them. It's going to destroy them. As a matter of fact, some of you know what it's like to be depleted by somebody who's put the weight of completion on you. And you know what it is for them to keep putting that on you, knowing you cannot fulfill that thing that you're putting on you. It happens in all kinds of relationships. Parents do it to kids all the time. Your little puppets that you want to be perfect robots and get straight A's because there's emptiness in you. And now they become your little trophies. And when they don't march to the beat of your drum and you put that weight on them, no wonder they start acting like Chucky and twerking and say, give me the whole bottle because I can't handle the weight that you're putting on me. To complete you. Completion is something that only God can do. You cannot put that on a human. Hear me, there is a God-sized hole in every human heart that only he can fulfill. And anything else you put in that spot, it's an idol. I told you last week, the problem with idols is that you love them and then you hate them because they never fulfill the promise that they give you. And that's why I love what Paul does in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to look at this because we were in 2 Corinthians even last week. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Now, remember the church of Corinth? This is the crazy church. It's kind of like social, okay? He could have just wrote this letter to the church of social. Because, come on, this is a young church that met at Gillies. Amen. It was, it was a cool church. They were gifted. They had genuine encounters with God. They had experienced his righteousness, but they still had some ratchetness that they were trying to work out just a little bit. And Paul was trying to set them straight. They had dysfunctional relationships. Their sexuality was messed up by the culture they were in. And look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Here Paul is talking about not being connected to, intimately connected to, married to an unbeliever. In the middle of talking about that, he talks about idols. What in the world does an idol have to do with me being connected to somebody that's not a believer? Like, you would think, but those are two separate things. 
Like, Paul, I don't have to have their belief system. What, what, what are you talking about idols and being connected to an unbeliever? It's the same disassociation that they did with their bodies. Remember, Church of Corinth is the church of compartmentalization. They said, look, God, you can have my body on Sunday, but look, on Friday, I can do whatever I want with my body. And Paul's trying to get something across to them. They said, no, 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 no. You don't understand that you can't even connect a belief system that you have with somebody that does not have the same belief system. He says, you cannot yoke yourself to an unbeliever. And the reason he talks about idols is because if the person you are with is an unbeliever and Jesus is not sitting on the throne of their heart, something else is and that something else is going to be constantly at war that something else is going to be diametrically opposed to the thing that is on the throne of your heart see this is what cheers me out about people today that think that you can date somebody that is not a believer and it's going to work out. Like, no, but you don't understand. No, but no, no. He prayed one time at Cheesecake Factory before we had the meal. No, no, no. She came to church like once. She was baptized. They sprinkled her. And you think, and when people even have the nerve, the audacity to say, Pastor Robert, I mean, they're not a believer, but can I date them? When you ask that question, just you asking the question makes me question your relationship with God. Because you're asking to be connected to somebody who is completely opposed to the God that you say sits on the throne of your heart. The question alone makes me ask some questions that you want to be connected to an unbeliever. It makes me think you have a Corinth mind state and that you think that because the cross was a plus sign that God wants to be an addition to your life. But I came to tell you, God does not want to be an addition to your life. He refuses to be an addition to your life. He says, I got to be your whole life. God says, I am not an addition. How many of you know a relationship with Jesus is an explosion that will wreck your whole life? Come on, you cannot compartmentalize when you give your life to Jesus it'll affect how you do business how you handle your money how you think how you walk how you talk where you go what you listen to which I'm telling you it affects every aspect every single aspect so Paul says yo let me help you church of Corinth don't connect yourself don't be yoked to an unbeliever you know what a yoke was a yoke was a wooden instrument that they would put on the neck of an ox and the challenge with having a strong ox connected to a weak ox is that strong ox would overpower the weak ox. The goal is to have two strong oxes yoked together, have the same passion, have the same vision, serving the same God. Because if we yoke together and you strong and you strong and we coming together, we can plow straight. We can do anything. But if one of us, well, come on, don't you want to go today? Can we please go to church today? Don't you want to pray today? If, if you got one that's powerful and one is like, all right, I'll go, I guess, if you want to. The problem with that is the weak one is going to be warned against the strong one. And what ends up happening is they keep going in circles and they never get anywhere. This is what happens when you are yoked to somebody uh, that does not have Jesus on the throne of the heart. So all y'all that have been wondering if you're in a relationship that has expired, ask yourself are you going in circles? Are you seeing the same patterns and the same issues? Because if we're really yoked together, we ought to see some progress. This is a challenge because I got to be yoked to somebody who has the same person 
sitting on the throne of their heart. And if you don't, Paul says, it's not going to work. Is this helping anybody today? And he starts talking about idolatry. Idolatry. It's interesting. It's like what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It's like he's echoing what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is after the exodus, after God has emancipated them from the tyranny of Egypt. One of the first things he tells them, the first one of the first prohibitions is, when you get in that land, and all the Canaanites and the parasites and the termites, all of them are going to be up in there. He says, don't let your children marry them. He says, don't connect with them. He said, because they're going to turn their hearts toward their idols. Look, all throughout your Bible, they were constantly warring with people that they had connected themselves to, Asherah poles and other gods that they had connected themselves to. And Paul says, you can't yoke yourself to an unbeliever. It's all throughout your Bible. I was just reading this the other day. This is for free. This wasn't even in my notes. This is free. I was reading this about Samson the other day. Remember Samson? Everybody limits Samson's little issue to Delilah. You know there was a woman before Delilah? If you read it in Judges, Delilah echoed the same thing the woman before. It's like deja vu. Delilah was number two. Read it. They literally say the same thing. If you really loved me, you would tell me. Delilah was the secret of his strength. The woman before was simply a riddle that he told, and Samson's parents were trying to get him to not marry the foreign girl. They said, can't you get a girl in Israel? No, I found one that caught my eye. That's what he said. Literally said, caught my eye. I found me a good Philistine girl that caught my eye. Caught my eye. And that tripped me out, because isn't it funny that what he lost at the end were his eyes? They plucked out his eyes. You better be careful what catches your eye before you lose your eye. And there he was with no eyes, going in circles, plowing like an ox. You got to be careful who you yoke yourself to, who you're connected to. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, smart, knew business, knew how to build temples. But when it came to connecting with foreigners people that did not call Yahweh God, there was this attraction that messed him up. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 33. He says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Another version says, ruins character. So all y'all did a missionary date and talking about, he gonna change. It's a good wife in her. Just give her some time. She going through a season. And you think you're going to change them? It's literally the equivalent. I should do it, but I don't want to embarrass myself. It's the equivalent of me trying to pull one of y'all up from this stage. It is impossible. It is much easier. You can be less strong than me, but it's much easier for you to pull me down off this stage than for me to pull you up. So Paul says, be careful who you connect yourself with because some relationships need to expire. They have to expire. As a matter of fact, some relationships that have reached their expiration date should have never had a start date. Some relationships that have reached their expiration date should have never had a start date. 
which brings me to my text today. It's Abraham. Father Abraham. You know him. He had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them. So are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right on left. Just trying to see who went to Sunday school. Abraham, he's the father of our faith. He is the progenitor of Israel. This is the one that we call the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the one who started it all. He is the father of the faith. Got the number one hit in all Sunday school. Oh, come on, it beats Jesus love me. This I know. Everybody knows Father Abraham. He started it all. He's the father of faith because look at what he got. He got a call from God to leave where he was and to go to a land that God said, I will show you. Ooh, that's some crazy talk right there. That's a faith talk right there. When God says, leave where you are and go to a land I will show you, I bet you are the father of faith. When you leave what is familiar to go to a land that you have not seen, you don't have a GPS location for. I don't understand why people today think that faith has changed. All of you that need God to give you specifics and a PowerPoint presentation, you are not going to get it, boo-boo. You're going to be waiting a whole long time trying to get details from God. He still works the same way. He will just speak a word and he says, I want you to obey me. I want to see if you'll be bold enough, audacious enough to take the first step while the picture is still loading. That is what authenticates the validity of your faith when you don't know where the land is, but you say, God, I'm trusting you to tell me where it is, a land I will show you. That's what faith is. God is not going to give you the full picture. He wants to know, will you trust him? Who? Just on the go. Go. Where are we going? I'll tell you later. Just go. And there he is walking. And I've preached that forever. The power of faith. The power of taking a step while the picture is still loading. But I never realized that the first words, first words matter. The first word was not go to a land, I'll show you. The first word was leave your country and your kinfolk and go to a place that I'll show you. In other words, the call of our faith was initiated with the separation. An expiration. You understand, he grew up in a polytheistic culture. They had several gods, and he was called to leave those several gods, divorce them. Abraham, that is expired. It's time for you to follow the one true God. And how many can testify in here today that every step of faith started with a separation? It started with you divorcing yourself from who you were. Oh, come on. Don't act like you ain't been in Gillies before and it wasn't for church. Is there anybody in here that knows what it's like to have been in the world? World. And you didn't hate it. You loved it. You knew how to get down. But somehow, some way, maybe it was in a service. Maybe it was when somebody was preaching. God started speaking to you. And something on the inside of you knew that he was calling you to a new place that felt familiar at the same time. And you said, I can't do like I used to do. I can't go where I used to go because he's calling me into a relationship. So the first step of faith is always a step of separation. He had to forsake all of these other gods to follow the one true God. How crazy was that conversation with your family? A culture that worships several gods? Where are you going? I don't know. Who are you following? God? Which one? 
One of them, the one that told me to go, I see y'all. Here he takes off. He got Abraham. He's got his wife, Sarah. He's got a lot with him. And they're traveling. I'll spare you the details. But God blesses. Even in a famine, God blesses. Even in his weird idiosyncrasies, God blesses. Like weird stuff. Like he was obedient, but he did weird, like, like, like saying your wife is your sister. Like out of fear, just an unnecessary, stupid lie. But he was still obedient, but still had his quirks. What's interesting to me is not that he said his wife was a sister. What blows my mind is that his son Isaac, years later, does the same thing. It is not even privy to what his father did. Every once in a while, you got to do a little personalancestry.com and talk to some of your family members and talk to your parents and sometimes even ask them, especially if you're an adult-to-adult relationship, and see if you can get that real unedited testimony and find out some things. I'm telling you, yes, thank God for the blood, but it is amazing how some quirks and some proclivities come down from one generation (laughs) into another. Here he is, being obedient. He gets blessed coming out of Egypt. He's balling. I love it because Lot, he gets blessed just from being connected to him. So here they are walking, blessed. Abraham, Sarah, Lot. But as they're walking, they run into something that every relationship will run into. Conflict. Conflict. The herdsmen of Abraham and the herdsmen of Lot start quarreling. And that was strange to me. I thought that the quarreling and the conflict would have started between Abraham and Sarah because he just called her her sister and just gave her away to the, one of the Egypt kings. She's like, for real, you're just going to give me away like that? I, but that's not where it started. It started between his herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. Conflict. Would you just say conflict? conflict. Say it with your chest. Say conflict. Say it one more time so I can get a drink of this premium Fiji water. Say conflict. Conflict. Every relationship. Every relationship. Every relationship will have to deal with conflict. Conflict. I want you to stop seeing conflict as something negative and see conflict as something positive. As a matter of fact, conflict is the price you pay for deeper intimacy. Say it again so you can post that on the gram later. (laughs) Conflict is the price you pay for deeper intimacy. Do you know statistically, couples that make it and couples that don't actually argue the same amount of time? It's just the ones that make it have learned how to work through the conflict. I want to know today, how do you handle conflict? How do you? think that school systems should teach a class on conflict resolution. Since all of us have to deal with relationships and all of us are going to have conflict, they should teach a class on healthy conflict resolution so we don't just keep recycling the patterns that we saw our crazy parents and the people in our household do. I want to know how do you handle conflict? You get mad, you leave, you're a stormtrooper. <laughs> you go off, you cuss. What do you do? What do you do? You, you, you get emotional, you start crying, pull out the tears. How do you do? 
conflict. You, you pastor, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. No, no, no. We need to talk about it right now. No, 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 no. Right now, it's two in the morning. I know, but we need to talk about it. How do you handle conflict? Oh, you passive aggressive? Oh, no, I'm good. Oh, it's fine. No, you did not offend me. You did not offend me. I am fine. I don't get offended easily. I am fine. Okay, I'm grown. Okay, I'm grown. <laughs> think I'm worried about you and your come. I know who I get spiritual. I know who I am and cry. <laughs> oh, ain't nothing worse than passive aggressive. Just subtly doing stuff to get on your spouse's nerve. No, they can't stand the sound of people chewing chips in the bed. Here you are all day. No, I didn't get mad that you missed my birthday. <laughs> chewing chips in the bed just to drive them crazy because you don't want to address the real issue. How do you handle conflict? Conflict will happen. And you got to find out what you're going to do when the conflict happens. We have rules and we don't throw around the D word. You keep saying it enough, it's going to happen. Do you have rules for fighting? Do you fight fair? Because you do know when you say a word, you do not know how long that word will live in somebody else's head. So here they are with conflict, fighting. It's funny because they started fighting when they got more possessions. So let me just cancel that notion. Well, if we got some more money, we wouldn't be fighting. Oh, yes, you would. You'd just be in a nicer car. Here's what trips me out about Abraham and Lot's conflict. It's not that they had the conflict. It's that this is unnecessary conflict. The reason I'm perplexed by the conflict between Abraham and Lot is because it is unnecessary. They're not supposed to be fighting anyway. We're on to Genesis 12. What did God say? Leave your country and your kinfolk. Excuse me? Lot is not supposed to be in the fight in the first place. Do you know who Lot is? Lot is Abraham's nephew. God said, leave your country, leave your kin folk, people related to you, and go to a land that I will show you. What is Lot doing in this text anyway? Lot is his nephew. Abraham, you got a lot to get rid of. Because he was never supposed to be on this trip. He is an illegal passenger. God said, leave your country, your kinfolk, and go to a land that I will show you. Abraham left his country. He said, I'll go wherever you lead. I'll follow. But when it came to his kinfolk, when it came to somebody he was related to, he thought it was okay to disobey that part of the threefold command. So let me insert this thought that partial obedience is still disobedience. No wonder you are reaping the drama in your life. The drama is directly and intrinsically connected to the disobedience of bringing him in the first place. Lot's not supposed to be in the car. So I'm confused by the fight in the first place. Furthermore, this fool 
says, uh, we don't need this quarreling. Fancy way to say fighting. You choose. We got to separate. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Huh? Who did God call? Abraham. Lord, you are only blessed because you are connected to Abraham. Why are you getting to choose all oh, this self-entitled Lot? I got issues with Lot. I might slap him when I get to heaven because I don't get why Abraham is being so gracious and letting him pick. You don't get to choose. You don't get to pick first. If I'm Abraham, excuse me, I'm petty. I'm saying, look, God called me, not you. My bad. I missed it. I did not hear from God. You got to go back to where you came from. I wasn't supposed to bring you in the first place. Bye. Why are, why are they connected? Why is Abraham letting Lot choose? How many know it's easy to judge somebody's decisions if you don't know their context from which they made a decision? And I judged Abraham's decision without realizing the context of his decision. Don't forget that Abraham and Sarah have always longed for a child. Even today, many women would know the pain, families would know the pain of wanting to have a child and not being able to. But you would not know it in the biblical context, the shame that was associated to barrenness is what made women cry out, God, give me a child or I'm going to die. The pain of barrenness was so different that all they ever wanted was God to give them a child. And here comes God with a promise. You're going to have a child. Oh, isn't that a great day? When God gives you a promise, it's going to come to pass. But I think connected to the promise was an idol. Everybody talks about Abraham's faith. Everybody talks about his song. But nobody talks about Abraham and Sarah's idol. I think their idol that went on them on the road trip was the idol of the timing of God's promise. Because there's one thing for God to give you a promise. It's another thing for it to happen when you want it to happen. And I think that the timing of the promise became an idol. Prove it. Oh, I'll prove it. What else would make a woman, this is in your Bible, a woman tell her husband, go in the tent with another woman because maybe it ain't working with me. So go have you a time with the maid and y'all produce the promise of God. I don't know of any woman... <laughs> that would send her husband into the tent. Can you see Abraham? Well, if you think so, honey, if you think that's going to be the whatever you... If you think you prayed about it, okay, if you think that's the way I'll do... What? You laugh. You be shocked what your idols will make you do. You'll be shocked what your idols will make you go to. She was doing what many of us have done. Abraham too, let's help the promise of God come to pass on our time because time became an idol. How many of us have tried to put our hands 
in the promise of God and reap the consequences of it. Because we trusted him for the promise, but we did not trust him for the time. Oh, they have more idols. Not only was the time an idol, but the promise became an idol. Oh, yes. When they finally had the baby boy Isaac, which, by the way, he had to deal with the consequences of his actions and send Hagar and Ishmael off because he tried to help the promise of God. But now he's got the promise. Now he's got Isaac. And now the promise fulfilled is becoming an idol. See, we think that idols are bad things. Idols are not always bad things. Something good can become an idol. Something good becomes an idol when a good thing becomes the ultimate thing. And so now the promised child from God has become an idol. Has God ever fulfilled a promise in your life and then the promise became an idol? Oh, come on. Before you got the job, you were all up in church. God, please, 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 if you give me this job, you are Jehovah Jireh. I'm telling you, just bless me with this job. Oh, God, oh, I tithed 25%. I promise you, God, just give me the job. And now you got the job and you're too busy to come to church. Now, now you can't give. And now the promise has become an idol. Oh, I know the promise became an idol because God told him to offer it up. And it's nothing like God telling you to offer up something that will reveal how much your hand is gripped to it. The rich young ruler didn't know how much he was connected to his riches until Jesus said, leave it all and follow me. Huh? All of it? He thought he had his money. His money had him. I love when y'all get quiet and just look at me like you're looking at me right now. You ever wonder why in church people can't stand when you talk about sex or money? Because people don't like when you mess with their idols. So preach about empowerment and how I'm going to the next level and I got all these haters. But don't tell me what to do with my money and don't tell me who I can or cannot sleep with. told he told him to offer it up and hear me I will testify as a living witness every so often God will ask you to give up something and it is a test to see where your allegiance is do you love the promise or do you love the promise keeper I know why Lot is there worship team join me I know why Lot is here. Don't judge a decision until you know the context a person made a decision from. In Genesis chapter 11, you almost breeze right past it. We get Abraham's Ancestry.com. We find out that his father, Terah, had two other sons, Haran and Nahor. Nahor got married. We don't get the names of his children. Haran had a son. His name is Lot. The Bible is strategic to tell us that Haran died while Lot was still young, while Lot was still alive. Anytime a child buries a parent at a young age, that is a void. So here you have Lot 
who's experiencing the loss of a father. And here you have Abraham and Sarah who have never experienced the joy of having a child. Now I know why Lot is with them. They are both fulfilling legitimate needs in an illegitimate way. And whenever you fulfill a legitimate need in an illegitimate way, because it is out of the word that God spoke, it will reach its expiration date. Because it was never ordained by God. Partial obedience is still disobedience. And look at the goodness of God to give Abraham an opportunity to obey what he should have done from day one. I can't imagine how Abraham's voice trembled and shook. No wonder he was so generous. He said, Lot, I love you. We got to go our separate ways. Oh, Lot, you've been fulfilling a void in my life. I've, I've loved you like a son because I don't have one. And Lot, I know you probably look to me as a father. But I got a word from God to leave my country and my family and go to a place he was going to show me. Sometimes you have to let go of the thing that's killing you. Even if it kills you to let it go. The fights are breaking out. Because this was an unauthorized connection. God wants to know, Abraham, will you trust me that I am going to fulfill my word? I told you you were going to have a child. I told you I was going to make your descendants as the stars and the sand. People going to be singing about you forever, bro, in Sunday school. But this is a critical moment where you have to decide if your allegiance is to this relationship or to me. I'm wondering today if you're fulfilling a legitimate desire an illegitimate way. I told you last week, we love to rationalize it, don't we? Rational lies. Well, my husband's not giving me the emotional love and support that I need, so what else am I supposed to do? He, what well, if the guy at work looked at me the way my husband looked at me, then I would rationalize. Well, if my wife respected me, I wouldn't be rationalize. Well, I know he's married, but he came on to me. Rationalize. But God, I'm lonely and I want somebody to hold me. Rationalize. The need is legitimate. But the question always is, how are you going to fulfill it? Will you trust the promise? Or are you going to keep pouring the milk 
long after the expiration date. Letting it poison you. I'm going to ask every head be bowed. Eyes closed. Actually, scratch that. Can I give you some good news? Oh, I can't leave you all sad. Can I give you the good news? Can I show you the power of letting it go? Look at what happened in Genesis chapter 13. After Abraham had the tough conversation to let him go, the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted, the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had, one more time, amplified version, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot, God, how come you ain't speaking? Because Lot is still there. But if you would have the audacity and the courage to tell a relationship that is expired, that you got to go your separate way. I love you, but I got to follow the purpose of God. Then God will speak. God will show up and speak after the expired relationship is gone. After Lot had parted from him, look at what God said to Abram. Look around from where you are to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. He says to him, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go and walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I am given it to you. Do you see the promise of God that is connected to the obedience of God? God said, I promise you, if you'll let them go, I got a promise on the other side of that obedience, but you better get the courage to say, I love you, but this is our expiration day. I wish somebody would get up on your feet and give God some praise. Let you know he's a promise keeper. He's a promise fulfiller. That every time you obey, he is faithful. Oh, walk the land. I'm giving it to you. Who knew that one act of full obedience would spark not only a promise, but a song with hand motions? You still singing today. Abraham didn't know then that people still be singing about him today. Tell about I am one of them. And so are you. Why? Because he let Lot go. I'm telling you, you can hold on to that relationship if you want. But somebody's got to say, I want the promise of God more. Hear me. And lest the enemy pervert this message, please do not use this as a reason to say, well, let me get about this marriage because he said it's expired. No wonder God speaks to Abraham in this term that our culture knows nothing about. Covenant. We know contracts. 
contract says I'm committed to you as long as you're beneficial to me. Contract says I'm committed to you as long as the relationship is beneficial to me. And if it's no longer beneficial, you go your way, I go mine. But covenant says I made a commitment and I'm committed to my covenant irrespective of my feelings. Do you know that every marriage that has lasted the long haul, I love to talk to people who've been in the game a long time and actually still love each other. They'll tell you that there was a season in the marriage where they were not getting what they needed. They weren't getting all the love that they needed. And they were actually giving more than they were receiving. Both sides, seasons. You're gonna be alone, of course. A long time, there will be seasons where you're not getting what you need. But guess what? That's why Paul says don't be connected to an unbeliever. Because how many know you can give a lot of love when you are connected to the true source of love? I know this is not popular in our culture today. And I'm in no way saying be in an abusive relationship, but I am saying we don't know the power of covenant. And if you don't know the power of sticking to a commitment when your feelings don't line up to it, then you don't know freedom. You're a slave to your emotions and your feelings. But there are some relationships. Hear me, I'm talking to those of you who are single and dating, and you know God's speaking to you saying, cut off this relationship. There is a promise of blessing on the other side. You know they are killing you. And sometimes you have to let go of what is killing you, even if it feels like it's going to kill you to let it go. I'm going to ask every head be bowed. Eyes closed. Father, I thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that you give us the strength, give us the grace, God, to let go of relationships that have expired. God, not just romantic one, friendships, familiar relationships that are contradictory to the plan and the purpose that you have on our lives. God, I pray today that we would give you full obedience. That we would no longer give you pieces of us, but all of us. God, help us to trust you to walk into a place by faith and not by sight. Knowing that he who made the promise is faithful to fulfill it. There's about hours of close today, but if you'd be so honest, say, Pastor Robert, man, this message is for me. And there's a relationship or something that has expired and I've still been tolerating in the day I need to throw the milk out. <laughs> I'm not going to sniff it. I'm going to let it go. 
and you know what God is speaking to you. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand as a sign to say, God, today, today, I let it go. I give it to you today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Hands are going up all over this place today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Lord, we are more committed to your promise that will come to pass. God, we lay down the idol of timing. God, we lay down the idol of the fulfilled promise. God, our eyes are not even on the promise. Our eyes are on you, the promise keeper, the promise giver. We will have no idols before you. Anybody else say this is for me? Lift it up, put it right back down. Thank you, Jesus. Heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I would love to give you that opportunity. I can think of no better day no better moment than right now where you can make a decision that so many people in this room have made, which is to forsake that which is behind, living your life for you. You've been on the throne of your life and take the step forward into the wild adventure of following the God who formed you, who knows everything about you. We say it all the time in social, you can always come home. That's you. Would you just lift up your hand high enough and long enough to where I could see it today? Say, Lord, I'm giving you my life today. Yes. Yes. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I see those hands. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Here's what I want us to do. These altars are going to be open after this service. We have to get ready for this 2 p.m. service. But I want us to pray this prayer as one big family tonight. And if you need personal prayer, please don't leave after this. Our prayer team is going to stand here ready and willing to pray with whoever needs to. But I want us to pray this as one big family today. I'm going to give you the words, but you say it from your heart, especially if you responded. Would you just say this? Say, dear Jesus, I need you. Lord, I cannot do life without you. Lord, today, forsaking my idols to follow you. Lord, I know there have been relationships and things that have ran their expiration date. And today, I leave them behind. And I say, all of me is yours. No more partial obedience, but I give you all of me. Forgive me of my sin. Make me brand new from this moment forward. I'm walking with you in Jesus' name. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.